I cannot relate to that video. I never go 25 and a 35. I cannot relate. Now, that's what's sinister in that video, right? When someone's going 10 under the speed limit, what are you doing? Anger. Anger. You know, it was, uh, not too long back, is in the news, a man by the name of, of Carl Erickson. He went to uh, this man's home, uh, Norman Johnson, rang the doorbell. When Norman came to the door, Carl emptied his gun into Norman, killed him. And when the police were looking for a motive, Carl said, well, what happened was Norman was a bully and bullied him in gym class. And when he was down in the locker room, uh, Norman uh, was a jock and just kind of really humiliated him. And so uh, he went and killed him. He was 73 years old. That had happened over almost 60 years previous. Can you imagine 60 years he's wrestled with this? For 60 years he's hung on to this. For 60 years he thought about it. And ultimately, look what it ended up leading to. Uh, Anger will certainly hurt those around us, but it it hurts us as well. Uh, Physically speaking, anger is hard on your body as a matter of fact. Statistics are that it is, there's just about nothing harder. Anger has been related to peptic ulcers, some forms of colitis, some forms of arthritis, chronic bladder and kidney infection, migraine headaches, some respiratory issues, hypertension, cardiac problems, and a lowered immune system. Get this, this is, this is wild. Emotionally, according to psychiatrist Paul Meyer, 95% of all psychological depression, according to Meyer, is caused by anger. Really? I mean, even if he's off a little bit, that's still amazing. Um, Dr. Richard Walters, psychiatrist, writes this. He says, today, people will be murdered because of someone's anger. Others will die from physical ailments resulting from or aggravated by their angry feelings. Many people die in anger-related auto accidents, while others carried out the angriest act of all, suicide. Countless relationships die little by little as resentment gnaws away at the foundation of love and trust. Anger is a devastating force, and its consequences should sicken us. Anger-related destruction of human life and spirit is the incredible natural disaster. It's a personal tragedy in the lives of millions. Anger is deadly. It's deadly. You, you know, it's uh, fascinating of the deadly sins, though. I think the most fascinating because it's, it's complex. It's, because anger's got a good side, right? There's righteous anger. Now, there's no such thing as righteous lust or righteous greed or righteous sloth. If we're slothing, we think that there's righteous sloth and we're experienced, but there's no such thing as righteous sloth. But there is righteous anger. Anger about this whole list is something that God practices. Matter of fact, 300 times in the Old Testament, God is said to be angry. Uh, anger is one of those things that, that whether you're a baby, because we know babies experience anger, don't we? Or, or very, very old person, everybody in between, anger is your, your lot, whether you are Democrat or Republican, or regardless of your ethnic background, whether you are founding father or an illegal immigrant or educated or not educated, regardless of your sophistication, anger 
is part of who we are. And I'm not going to ask for a survey, show of hands or anything, but have you ever said something or did something in anger that you kind of regret? Maybe that cost you something. Anger is part of who we are. Uh, anger is, is, is complex because it's hard to hide. Now, some folk practice anger. They're, they're, they're like lions. You know what I mean? I mean, they, when they practice anger, they roar, right? And the claws come out and the, the fangs are barred. And they are just, everyone runs when a lion's got his anger going. My dad was like that. When my dad got angry, you could just, you could see it coming. The, the red started rising. You just scattered. Because you didn't want to be the, the victim of his anger. And so, so the lions are like, these are like type A people, uh, extrovert people, Italian folk. These are just lion people. Passionate, passionate. But there's another way you can deal with anger though, right? Porcupines. Now, porcupines, when they're angry, they just kind of go off by themselves and roll up in a ball. They don't say too many hurtful things. They don't say anything, as a matter of fact. But when you get near them, they're pokey, right? They're pokey. They hurt. Their silence is their weapon. This is, I can be a little bit porcupinish. These are the guys that pout and sulk. These are your passive aggressive type folk and... Uh, we think, porcupinus, we think that the lions, see, those are the bad folk, but us. But what you need to know, you porcupine people, let me just share this with you. When you're not in the room, other folk are talking about you, and it's not good. See, everyone knows when you're angry. Yeah, You can't hide it. When you're angry, you just, this dysfunction. So how do we handle it? When we're angry, it's, it's, it's something you're not going to be able to just avoid. What do you, what do you do with it? It's not always sin. I mean, how do you, how do you, well, Germany, there's a company in Germany that came up with this great idea to help us porcupines. And, and what the, they have got a, a, something they call Schimpflos. Now, I'm not real good in German, but, uh, it means, it's German for swear away. It's a swearing hotline. And for two bucks, I'm serious, for two bucks, you can call this hotline and you can just dump on this innocent operator and you can cuss him out. You can call him anything you want to for, for two bucks a minute. Uh, you can let him have it. And the goal is empty out, man. Vent before you get home so you don't take it out on your spouse. Venting is the way folk think you should take care of anger. I had a good friend years ago. I mean, he was a, a big counselor, therapist person, and he said it was normal in his offices. He had a chain of, of counseling clinics. He said it was normal in his offices to have a, a punching bag. And so different people, when they came in with major uh, issues, uh, anger issues, they would punch. He would use scream therapy. He had a anger stick. And you would bang. Now, you couldn't bang on everything else. There were rules with this, but you would bang with the anger stick. And again, the thought was, if you just vent and get it out, then it expressed anger is better than that, that suppressed anger. See, this was the thought. But psychology today, has, uh, they got a different idea on this. Uh, article said, with all of the stress going on in our hectic lives, it's not unusual to feel angry. And want to lash out at people, scream, punch pillows, or worse. In fact, a lot of people believe that this kind of catharsis or open expression is the best way to overcome angry feelings. Unfortunately, 
This is one of the most widespread social myths of our time, largely due to the legacy of Joseph Brewer and Sigmund Freud's well-known theory that bottled-up anger is more harmful than expressed anger. It turns out that when put to the test, researchers have discovered that not, that not only does venting not necessarily improve our psychological state, it may actually worsen it. Angry tirades, punching pillows or anything else, and confrontation of the person we view as the cause of our anger doesn't necessarily reduce or resolve our anger. In some cases, it makes it worse. In fact, Brad Bushman, one of today's leading researchers on, researchers on anger and aggressive responding, believes, get this, this is wild, that venting to reduce anger is like using gasoline to put out a fire. It only feeds the flame. So, so what do you do? We've got this anger thing. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. It can be destructive. It can be dangerous. How do you control it? I was thinking the venting thing. That's not going to work. What do we do? I think God's word addresses this. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through just briefly. God's word's got a lot to say about anger. We're just going to touch the surface. But there are some principles. And I, I honestly believe that God's word is so good if we can just grab some of these principles and apply them to our heart in this area of, of anger can make a world of difference for us and for those around us. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. We're going to look at the first of the seven deadly sins, the very first one mentioned in Scripture. Genesis 4. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of his fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Of the seven deadly sins against the first one mentioned in the Bible. Some of them may have transpired earlier, but this is the first one mentioned. Anger between brothers. Can you imagine? Where did that come from? Oh, man, how, how surprising is that? But you got to wonder, don't you, why did God ask Cain this question? Did God not know the answer? Or is it possible that Cain didn't know the answer? He was seeing so much red at this point. His rationality usually is one of the first things to go out, right, when our anger starts to take over. And God was trying to pull him back. And this is, this is real critical. I think this is real critical for us. And it's difficult. But when anger, we catch ourselves getting angry. We catch ourselves with blood starting to boil. Great question is, right, what God asked Cain. Why are you angry? What's, what's going on? 
What's, what's the, and so you, you look at the, the, the text and you go, I'm not necessarily exactly sure why Cain was angry. I mean, why did God like Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? There's lots of theory. We're not really sure here, but I, I think there's some stuff even here under, under the surface that, that's very telling. I think we see it best though in 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. This is King Saul, right? So this is down the road a few years. It's King Saul. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the Philistine's name was... That's yeah, not a trick question, right? Goliath, all right, all right, all right. It was, it was Goliath. And you remember this, right? David was not a warrior up to this point in history. David played the harp for King Saul, and he was, in his, he was kind of one of his musicians, but he was not a warrior. He goes to the battle thing front, and he sees Goliath come out, and everyone else is a chicken, including King Saul is a chicken. He should be out there trying to take him on, but he's afraid he's hiding in his tent. And David takes him on. David hadn't killed anybody before, to our knowledge. Killed some animals, but never a person. He clobbers Goliath. And so the whole Philistine army falls that day. And so look, at as they they come home, David gets credit for the whole Philistine army falling, right? This is when the, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. Of course they're celebrating because they get their husbands and sons back. And so the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. Saul's okay. And David is ten thousands. Ooh, how's that going to go over? Well, Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Well, the next day, armful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. And while David was playing the lyre, David's one of his musicians, as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. We're going to go to chapter 20. So what happens is Saul's son, Jonathan, is a friend of David, and is trying to protect him, and it gets in this argument with his dad, Saul, and it says Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now, if we're going to swear, uh, um, normally we don't swear. If you're, if you're someone that you just don't swear, that's not part of your lingo. But you get yourself angry enough, or someone else gets you angry enough. If you're going to swear, right, this is the time you're going to do it. You're going to let it go. And he does. He just lets loose. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness for as long, look what he says here, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. That could be dangerous, right? So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Now, think, just think about this for a minute. Slide before this, Saul's telling his son Jonathan, the crown prince, 
that if, if David isn't taken out of the picture, you can kiss your kingdom goodbye, man. It's not going to be yours. He's going to get it. We got to take care of him. You're the, this kingdom is yours. It should be yours. And here, just a sentence or two later, he's throwing a spear at the crown prince, the one whose kingdom he's trying to protect. When we, we, our anger catches on to us, right? When it takes control, suddenly we say, we do irrational things. We hurt people around us uh, without thinking. And we don't want to pass this up too, too quickly because what's going on is obvious here is Saul's anger is because he's committed to his kingdom, right? Right? His, his kingdom, that which is going to give him comfort, that which is going to bring him status, that which gives them significance and importance and power. And David is threatening it. He's for his kingdom. I think this is what we saw with, with Genesis 4. Abel suddenly got something that Cain didn't have. Cain could have had it, but, but, but Abel got it and Cain didn't have it. And suddenly he's protect. You know, anger, this is fascinating with anger, because what anger does is it reveals your heart. Anger reveals what you love. It reveals your, your affections. It reveals your loyalty. Think of a mom with kids. Somebody challenges the kids, endangers the kids, and what happens to the mom? Flies into that mama bear mode. I was in high school editor of our school newspaper, and I wrote an article. It was a very fine article, I must say. But one of the teachers took, she took a little bit of a, she just was not pleased with the article. And so she wrote a rebuttal. I've never seen this. But she wrote a rebuttal, and she just happened to be our teacher in our high school who was in charge of the debate team, who was English. She was very well-spoken. She, she was excellent with her with her language, and she just tore me up one side, down the other in the school newspaper. Well, my mom saw the article, and my mom went livid. Didn't show me, but she called this teacher up and just ripped her apart on the phone for doing this to a student, and I'll scarred, and he's just ripped it, ripped it, ripped it. I didn't know any of this. And in the middle of class, I get, I get a, a note to come in from class that I had to have to leave and go see Mr. Prindle, who was the sponsor of the newspaper. And I thought, what's this about? So I, I went in, and he sits me down in his office, and he says, okay, listen, it's Harris. Harris, Harris. You can write all the controversial articles you want. That's great. That's great. But when you do, you can't have your mom call up the school and chew out the teacher. You can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. blah. And he went on and on how professional journalists don't have that happen to them. And so I, I thought, oh, I felt so humiliated. I felt so ashamed. I felt so loved. I knew my mom loved me. Your anger reveals what you love. I'll give you a picture. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Um, we don't have time to go through the whole story, but you know the story. Uh, God sends Jonah, a prophet of Israel, to uh, speak to the Ninevites. Ninevites were, were the capital of Assyria. These guys were Israel's sworn enemy. These guys were starting to challenge. Israel was still stronger, but these guys were challenging Israel. And so God sends Jonah, the prophet, big man in the nation of Israel, to the Ninevites to preach a message of repentance. 
And Jonah's going for crying out loud, what's going on here? So Jonah tries to take off and go to Spain. It's Tarshish. And God changes things. And sorry about that. God changes things and sends him back to, to Tarshish. And so he goes there and he, uh, to, to the Ninevites, Nineveh, and he preaches the message. And whole city repents. All these pagans, they all repent. They, they, they come to, to, to God. They, they, they fast. They, they cry out to him. And so God changes his mind and is not going to clobber these guys. And Jonah's a bit ticked off in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He wanted the Ninevites wiped off the, the map. Don't, doesn't God know this is Israel's enemies? And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, in case you are wondering, God. For I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked him a question. Basically, same question he asked Cain. Do you do well to be angry? Why are you angry? Uh, what, what's, what's, what, what, stop and evaluate your anger. He's not going to. Often, we don't. Jonah went out of the city. I don't have this on screen. Just listen to this. And sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And he, and he sat under its shade until to see what would happen and what would happen of the city. He was waiting for God to change his mind again and blow up the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah, what are you, you, is this, is this right? You're angry about this dumb plant? And Jonah's response, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Let me finish this. As the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. Jonah, his, his, his anger was over the loss of his comfort. Right? The plant protected me. Uh, Jonah was, he did not get angry over the things that angered God. And what really amazes me about this guy is he was a prophet. I mean, he was in the church. He was a big man in the church. He preached. He knew God's word. But he didn't have tears for the things God's had tears for. And so God calls him out. Jonah, you're so angry because you lost what you wanted. You lost how you thought I was supposed to act. You're going to maybe lose some of your popularity, lose some of your power. And you'd rather die than have that happen. And he reminds him, men of 120,000 people. I think for us, might God ever say... 
You got to think twice before you get real angry over stuff. You, you're getting so angry over, over little things, plants and things of your comfort and things you like and things you want. Meanwhile, here in Erie County, I got, I got 250,000 people who spiritually don't know their left hand from their right, but we're so doggone angry about the things that give us comfort. You should probably be angry about these things over here. I wonder if you'd ever say that to us. You got tears, you got anger, you got passion. But not for the things that I have passion about. Our anger always shows, it always reflects what we love, what we, what we, what we want. And I think that's in Genesis 4 with, with Cain. Because Cain has got this anger going on because he didn't get what he wanted, which was the uh, approval. And so in verse 7, God says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God's God's telling Cain, 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 listen to me. You are in a very precarious situation. You are your sin is right there and it will destroy you, Cain. I know what you're thinking and it's going to destroy you. It's not going to end well for you. Don't go down this road. But we know we know the story. We know what he does. He doesn't listen to God. He lures his brother out into the field, kills his brother. Cain becomes a murderer. Anger makes us murderers. I think anger always makes us murderers. You might say, well, Sometimes it does. There's this guy's in the news, and anger does make some people murderers, but not everybody. And I'd say no. Most often, if not always, it makes us murderers. Matthew 5, Jesus says this. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, of course, this is the sixth commandment of the Big Ten, and everybody, the Jewish people, they all knew this, of course. Those murderers are going to get their judgment. That's right. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And I know you're sitting there thinking, I'm so glad I never called anyone a Raka, man. All right. I made that one. Now, the fool thing about the Raka, I'm clean there. What it, what, it, what it means is just means anyone who is insulted. And it's an insult at someone's intelligence. You know, we can say raka a lot of different ways. We can say raka to somebody non-verbally, can't we? Roll the eyes, kind of snort a little bit. <sighs> what are we, what are we uh, uh, communicating non-verbally? <sighs> an idiot, an idiot. Now, we can say these words, too. How many times do I have to tell? Can't you ever? You're so clueless for crying out loud. Are you this dense? What's the issue? I mean, I may ask you, have you ever called anyone Raka? You ever made that judgment in your own heart? The fool thing. Now, in the Bible, fool is, it deals with nothing, deals not someone's intelligence. In the Bible, it deals with someone's godliness or lack thereof. And to call someone a fool, your brothers and sisters, right? To look at somebody and say, their motivation is obviously for themselves. They obviously are walking not close to the Lord. They obviously don't care about his word. They obviously do this just for them. 
Do you know, I mean, how are you doing with this? Have you ever in your heart passed judgment on somebody? Raka? Fool? Have you ever passed judgment? I'm so glad, Jesus is saying, that you're not a murderer in the eyes of the state or the feds. That's dangerous for you. But I wonder if you're a murderer in the eyes of God. We just can't get to a place where what happens in the government here is really what sets the bar for us. We're a murderer or we're not based on the government. No, no, no. We're a murderer or we're not based on what God says. And Jesus pretty much indicts us all with this one. Cain. Cain's issue is my issue, your issue. We know we shouldn't. Hate, call Raka, insult people, uh, call anyone, think anyone's foolish, but we do all the same. We don't listen to God any more than Cain didn't listen to God. Uh, it, it does this. It makes us murderers. If you follow the Cain story, I think this is amazing. Anger always has collateral damage. Always has collateral damage. You've got Adam and Eve. They didn't do anything with this Cain and Abel stuff, but now they're grieving because they just had a boy killed. And on top of that, I'm guessing that Cain, like my mom and dad, I'm assuming, maybe maybe not, but I'm assuming he did. But either way, Cain is now banished because, because anger isolates us. It makes us uh, by ourselves, makes us lonely. He's away. He will never see his mom and dad again, Adam and Eve. He's done. Because that's one of the consequences of anger. It hurts people around us. I, I heard this true story. Um, he said that, that uh, there was a man and wife and they were going at it. Man, they were just having a knack, knockdown, drag out, verbal battle with each other. And the husband finally just had it. And it's just banging. And he said, no, no, no. Listen, I'm done. I'm finished. This is over. No. And he, he left home. Came back a, a few days later. About a week after that, he's walking through his hallway in his house, uh, it's late at night. He hears his toddler's room, his boy making some noises, and he's just not sleeping well. He's restless. So the dad goes in, and the son is restless and uh, stops for just a minute. And then in his sleep, the toddler says, No, 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 finish, no, done, over. And the dad's thinking, What have I done? What have I programmed into the subconscious of my son? Anger always has collateral damage. It's never just my thing. It's never just attacking the person. It always has collateral damage. It's, it's a, a wicked, wicked thing. So what do you do? All right, what do we do? What do we do? Principle, huge principle. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. You can memorize this, memorize this, quote it over and over and over and over and over to yourself. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, some people say, he's saying here that we should be angry. Just, we should be angry. There's some things we should be angry about. Just don't sin when that's happening. If you look at the context of Ephesians 3, it, it's not saying that. It's saying when you're angry, if you get angry, because we're going to get angry, like last night, I'm printing my message on anger, and my printer goes off. And I'm, 
when angry, don't sin. Because even righteous anger, because we all say, you know, my anger is righteous anger. Righteous anger can go south in a hurry. I'm, I'm, I'm about three decades ago. I'm driving out of my neighborhood. I was, it was a very wooded area. I was in an apartment room with one of the guys from my church, and I'm, so I'm driving out at night. Didn't notice no one on the roads, and I, I see this possum waddling across the street. You know, do 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 do. And I just, so I just stop, and I'm not going anywhere. It's, and I'm just watching this guy go across the street, thinking, oh, it's so cute, you know. And, and that car starts coming from the other direction. I see the headlights. And so I hit my hazards just because let him know what's going on. And, 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 and then the possum has cleared the road. And I said, oh, okay, that's, that's great. And this guy sees the possum, gasses it, swerves off to the side of the road, hits the possum. And I'm telling you, I'm furious. I'm so angry. I whipped my car. Is that righteous anger? I think it was righteous anger. I whipped the car around. But it went south in a hurry. Because if I had a tire iron in my back seat, I just knew, first stoplight. I'm just going through this guy's back windshield. I'm so angry at this. Sometimes we're, we're righteously angry. But our anger can go south in a hurry. So he says, when you find yourself getting angry, don't sin. When you come home and you've told the kids, don't leave your toys, your bikes. Kids are older. Kids are older. They should know. It's not like they're babies anymore. But guess what happens? You told them to cut the grass and to put their stuff away. And the grass isn't cut. And their stuff is all over the front yard. And you can't even get your car in the driveway because the bike's there. And the kids had gone to grandma. So guess who's got to pick this stuff up and cut the lawn? When you start to feel yourself get angry, don't Sin. He's telling us what he told Cain. He says that this sin's knocking at the door. And it desires to have you. It's not going to end well for you. When in fact you, you, you come home and you get in the house and it's just a mess. And you're thinking for crying out loud. I suppose I have to clean it all. And you feel the blood starting to boil. Get angry but don't sin. When you tell your, 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 your son, you know what, here's the curfew, and you need to be home at time, and I'm going to give you a little extra grace, so I'm giving you an extra hour tonight, and, and you know the rule, you got to be home at time, and if you're ever going to be late, for sure, text me, but the son comes home an hour late, no texting, and he doesn't have a good excuse. Get angry, but don't sin. And kids, if your dad blows it on that one, right? You've been grounded for nine months. Get angry, but don't sin. What great, great counsel. Same thing he said to Cain way back in Genesis 4. And then, and then they say this. Don't let the sun go down your anger. So when angry, don't let sin in. But get rid of it right away. Even if it's righteous anger, because it can bring vengeance and pride and all kinds of other things. You get rid of it right away. 24 hours before the sun goes down, get rid of it. And please know, this is not just a nice uh, suggestion. Because the more we embrace anger, anger embraces us. And its tentacles go into our soul. The longer we hold on to anger, it's, it's like Carl Erickson who killed that guy after 60 years. The, 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 uh, it's like super glue. It just kind of dries. And if we wait too long, it's going to be almost impossible to just evict it. It doesn't just go away. God's telling us something. Look what he says. He says, when, we, when, when anger is there, Satan's not far. It might be righteous anger, but Satan's not far. 
It's, 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 it's God saying when we're angry and we hang on to it, we're inviting Satan in. It's Satan saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him with fellowship. And I will make him after my image. And he will decrease and I will increase in his life. And God's saying, that's what you do. When you decide to blow off God's word, and I can handle my anger, God's saying, no, you can't. Anger is toxic. Anger is poison. So get rid of it. You have righteous anger, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Don't let the sun go down on it. William Willimon, he's a dean of... Uh, let me mention this just before we, we close it, because this is important. It, y'all, anger is like the... Uh, it's like one of those warning lights on your dash. The, the anger isn't really the issue, right? It, it's what it's, warn, it's warning us. Warning us that something else is going on. You don't take your car to the mechanic and say, the warning light is, keeps blinking. Will you please remove that? It's, the warning light's just telling you of another problem. And if on your dash you have an anger warning light going off all the time, it's just telling you that there's probably another issue. There's probably something else that's making it go off. And maybe you, you need to stop and ask yourself what God asked Cain. Why am I angry? Maybe you need to meet with somebody and help them work through that with you. And I know it's not easy and all kinds of stuff leads to this. Uh, but William Willimon was the uh, dean of the chapel at Duke. He's a fascinating uh, guy to read. Uh, he wrote a book, Sinning Like a Christian. Interesting books on the seven deadly sins. At the end of his chapter on anger, he talks about a time when he was preaching in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he came across a gal, very sweet uh, girl, godly, godly girl. And come to find out, her husband has been uh, dead for ten years, and so he asked her, "Well, what happened to your husband?" She said, "Well, he was murdered." He said, "Murdered." She said, yeah, one morning we were on the front porch, kissed him goodbye, my, my, my daughter, we were out there, and then he went down the stairs and went and got in the car, and then a car of a couple of IRA paramilitary folk came by, jumped out, and just riddled his body with bullets, and they started shooting at my daughter and I. We got in the house and just kind of blasted out our front door, and then they drove away. Well, I ran down to be by my, my husband, and as I got there, I knew he was dead or just about to, to be, and I wasn't sure what to do. His body was all bloody, and I, all I could think to do was pray the Lord's Prayer. And so I was praying, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. She said, and then I got to the last line. Forgive us our debts as... And she said, I, I couldn't go on. And I knew if I wanted to go on, if I wanted to go on with my relationship with the, the Lord... I was going to have to forgive these people who just did this. And she said, so right there, I prayed, oh God, I need to forgive. But I don't know if I can. Would you please, please help me every day? And she said, and God did. And for us, again, I know some of the things we get angry about are stupid things. Some of the things we get angry about are Intense, horrific things, perhaps, that are in our, our life, past. 
but we can't hang on to that anger. You may not have the power to, to uh, forgive. And forgiving may not be real simple for you. I, I understand that. But you have to get on that road. And so it might even start with a simple prayer. Oh, Lord, I need to forgive. I don't know if I can. Would you help me? And if you're praying that prayer sincerely, if you're praying that prayer with everything you have, doing what you need to do to work through that, I would think that that's the prayer he will, he will, he will answer. I want to give you just a moment. So if you'd bow your, your heads with me, close your eyes, if that's where you're at, or if, even as we've talked this morning, you'd say, yeah, I've got an anger issue of some sort. Would you bring that to him? Thank you, Lord. We know that when you're angry, you're angry. Your anger is righteous. We know, God, based on your, your word, that you are angry with our sin. You were so angry about it that you sent your son Jesus to die. And on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And you're not angry with us. We're your children. You're our father. Your anger's gone. Lord, may, may we reflect you. Would you show us how to, to hurt over the things that you hurt and not to get angry about stupid things and about our own kingdom? Oh, God, would you help us to forgive and be people who reflect you in this world, even in our anger? God, as we take up this offering, too, we thank you for the opportunity to give back a little of what you've given to us. And I ask, God, please, would you use the monies here and abroad to get out the message that your anger hasn't been appeased. It's been, it's been satisfied through Jesus. And no one need fear that. I pray that would be so in Christ's name. Amen.